Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark. Today on the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, we're going to be talking about a truly epic character, Charlton Heston. Uh, I mean Moses. But surely you've seen the 1956 movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charlton Heston. And while some of the parts of the movie, of the Hollywood movie, are, well, Hollywood, uh, the premise of the movie is true. Moses is the focus of the movie. And Moses is the focus of the next two episodes of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. The importance of this God-called man named Moses really cannot be overstated. Uh, He sits center stage of our Western society. In fact, if you were to go to Washington, D.C. today and to walk into the Supreme Court building, if you would look up over the huge columns, you would see engraved at the very top of the Supreme Court building different men, but at the center, at the apex, there sits Moses holding the Ten Commandments. He's also credited with writing the first five books of the Bible. And he is the tool God used to birth a new nation, this nation called Israel. You know, a major premise of uh, this 24-minute Bible is to teach, not to debate or defend, but but simply help you connect the dots. And and a, a huge part of that is to connect the people. They are, in a sense, the dots. My goal for, for you is that as a student, you can talk through the Bible. You can tell the simple Bible story. As I record this podcast, it's presidential election time. We are about to elect the 46th president of the United States. Now, I doubt many of my listeners, unless you're in grade school, can probably identify all 45 presidents. But we could talk our way through the 230 years of our presidential history. For example, who's president number one? Yeah, George Washington. And then we go to Jefferson. That's a pretty easy one. We may have to skip, fast forward a little bit to Abraham Lincoln, the 16th, but we certainly remember Abraham Lincoln. Maybe you remember remember Teddy Roosevelt, from which the teddy bear comes from, by the way. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, or later on his cousin, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. How about John F. Kennedy? And then we move on into Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama, and today, uh, Donald Trump. So, We've just covered 230 years of presidential history, and we did it by talking about people. So today, for some fun and some practice, uh, let's attempt to talk through the first 2,000-plus years of the Bible, which basically is the book of Genesis. So where are we going to start? Yeah, going to start with Adam, Adam and Eve. And then we're going to jump to Noah. That's a 1,600-year jump, but nonetheless, we come to Noah in Genesis chapter 6. Of course, Noah and the flood. Then from the flood, we have Noah's three sons and their wives, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And the reason they're important is because they have become now the seedbed, the DNA for repopulating the entire earth. 400 years later, in Genesis 12, 
God takes that hourglass that I've talked about many times, and we go from the fat part in God's hand, just visualize it, if you will, squeezing that hourglass so that now instead of a lot of sand, there's just one grain of sand dribbling through that narrow part of the hourglass because God chooses out of all the people on the earth one man through which to bring his Messiah, his Savior, Jesus. Who is that one man? That's right, Abraham. <clears throat> so we enter into the time in Genesis 12 of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, those are the patriarchs, Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob. Those three men constitutes the patriarchs. And remember, God told Abraham, I will make a great nation out of you. And God is in the process of doing that as we think about the, the patriarchs. So here we are. We've just gone through the entire book of Genesis. And you made it. You, you did fine. Uh, and you covered well over 2,000 years of, of biblical history and human history. And if you remember in Genesis 50, we end the book with Abraham's great-grandson, Jacob, and his 12 kids. We know them as the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're all down in Egypt because of a famine. So now they're down in Egypt and they've settled in with uh, Pharaoh's blessing and things are going really good. But today we begin the book of Exodus as we look at episode six, Moses and a new nation. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about 400 amazing years. I think that'll be interesting to you. We're going to talk about the man, Moses, and then we're going to talk about the Exodus. Let me talk to you for a moment about the 400, what I call amazing years. Now, the children of Israel, uh, 70 and all, had gone down into Egypt and things were great for a while. But ultimately, as often happens, politics change, uh, rulers change, <clears throat> and they went from favored to enslaved. You may wonder, why did God allow that to happen? Well, let me make this suggestion to you. You see, God is a God who waits. He's a patient God. Also to the Lord, timing is important. Now, you may not be a Christian. Listen, you may just be someone who's wanting to find out a little bit about the Bible. Well, welcome. But I would say to you, even you understand uh, that timing is important. There's an actress who has the right role, and all of a sudden, she's catapulted to fame because it was all about the timing. Or maybe it's a baseball player, a football player, who makes one play, does one thing, hits one home run, grabs one catch, and all of a sudden, they're famous because they were in the right place at the right time. There's business people who've made millions and even billions because they were at the right place at the right time. You see, timing is important. It's important to us, it's important to you, and it's important to God. I was reading the Wall Street Journal in January of 2019 and came across this article, which uh, amazed me. The article was about trying to assess what is the most important invention of the last 2,000 years. 2,000 years of human history. What would you choose as the most important invention? Well, I can tell you what the Wall Street Journal, Peter Drucker, I think, is the one who authored it. I can tell you what they chose. <clears throat> they chose Guttenberg's printing press and the invention of movable type. Because from the printing press and now being able to take words and put them on books very quickly, uh, knowledge now has expanded exponentially. And we move into this age of enlightenment. People can read. And it just opened up the world of that day. So the Wall Street Journal chose Gutenberg's printing press as the most incredible, incredible invention of the last 2,000 years. 
I'm going to ask you to think about this as we consider why the 400 years between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. Some years ago, I was on a trip to Israel, and it was uh, with a college group. We were traveling, and we were going all over Israel. Our, our leader wasn't a tour guide. He was actually a professor, a Harvard professor, and he uh, <clears throat> was a professor of archaeology. So we were traveling all over, particularly down in the desert, the desert of Sinai. And while we were there, we began to climb some rocks not too far from a place called the Timnel Valley. And, and, and we, we climbed up <clears throat> these rocks. And as we climbed up, uh, we rounded a corner and our professor pointed to some engravings, etchings on the stone. And there were these symbols. I couldn't read them. But he began to speak about the Egyptians or at least the people who had put them there uh, Thousands of years ago, probably during the reign of the Egyptians, during the time previous to Moses, and he began to explain, he called them proto-Sinaitic symbols. Now, that didn't mean a whole lot to me, and it may not mean a whole lot to you. But basically, this is the point. <clears throat> the Egyptians wrote in pictures. It's called hieroglyphics. You've seen the hieroglyphics in many places, Indiana Jones, for example, other places. <clears throat> but we would not know or be able to read hieroglyphics today if it were not for Napoleon Bonaparte stumbling upon the Rosetta Stone in 1799. And that helped us to interpret the hieroglyphics. And for the first time, we could read the pyramids. And yet hieroglyphics and cuneiform and other forms of pictorial language are very bulky. You can't communicate well. Uh, <clears throat> they're very basic. So during this 400-year period of time, according to my professor and, and others that I've read today, <clears throat> there was something amazing that took place. They began to move from a pictorial way of communicating to a symbolic way of communicating. What do I mean by that? Well, they took common items. For example, they're out there in the desert and there's a bull. And if you can imagine a bull, just think of a V with a, a line through it, upside down, or a V and, and, and that line there. And, and you can see the head of the bull. And <clears throat> the bull was called Aleph. So they assigned the sound Aleph to the bull. And then they saw a house. And the sound for the house is Bet, where we get the word Bet Laham, house of bread. And so breath would, was, uh, Bet was uh, denoted by a, a square. So if you would just draw a square in your mind. So, uh, and think about this. As time went on, they began to assign other sounds to different symbols. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Delta. And they just went on what we sometimes know now as, as the Hebrew alphabet, uh, or at least the alphabet. And, and that was the amazing thing. If you take the bull and you turn its head over, uh, you have the letter A. If you take the square of the house and you draw a line through it, we have the letter B. It is the beginning, the invention during these 400 years, life-changing, earth-shattering, history-changing invention called the alphabet. And for the first time, we could write as human beings. We could manipulate letters and symbols, and, and we, could in, we could create books. And, and it just exploded because we now had the ability of symbolic representation, a thing called the alphabet. Perhaps the greatest invention, I believe, certainly the greatest invention of all times, took place during the 400 years between Genesis and Exodus, the alphabet. 
Now, that comes into play later on as we think about Moses in next week's episode as we talk about Moses writing the first five books of the Bible. How could he do that? He could never have done that with hieroglyphics. But as God speaks to his man and communicates to him, Moses can begin to write down the commands of God, the history that we read in the book of Genesis, and so much more. We'll talk about that next week. But let's talk about Moses, the man. Moses' life can be divided into to three compartments, three 40-year periods, if you will. First, we find Moses in the Bible and in history, and he is the son of Pharaoh. Moses' stepdad was probably was a Pharaoh. We don't know for sure which Pharaoh it was. Many people, certainly in, in the movie The Ten Commandments, uh, Moses' stepdad was Ramses, and Moses' stepbrother was Ramses II, if you remember from the movie. A lot of people believe that it could have been Ramses. Ramses II served for 57 years as uh, the reigning emperor or, or uh, pharaoh in Egypt. Could have been Ramses, although Alfred Edersheim, a, an eminent Old Testament historian, also suggests that it might have been the pharaoh Tutmos II. Now, I'm not into Egyptology necessarily. I just want you to understand that Moses was raised in the courts of pharaoh. He grew up in royalty. Moses had a world-class college education. He would have. He was the Pharaoh's son. He was skilled in military strategy. He was skilled in architecture, business, administration, and leadership. He was the man, intelligent, admired, well-trained for his first 40 years. But then one day an incident happened. He saw an Egyptian overseer, and for whatever motivation, Moses went over and, and struck and killed this Egyptian overseer. He thought that nobody saw him, but ultimately found out that uh, he was exposed. And so now Moses leaves Egypt and all the luxuries thereof and goes out to the backside of the desert. So for the second 40 years of Moses' life, he becomes a fugitive. He was tending sheep. He was sitting on mountains. And he was far away from the glory that was Egypt. Then one day, God shows up, as the Bible tells us, in a burning bush. And Moses has his supernatural encounter with God. But he doesn't know God's name. And so he begins to debate with him because he knew the gods of Egypt, but he didn't necessarily know this God. But this God was different because this God had life and was vibrant and was speaking to him. And, God, and Moses said, what is your name? And God said, my name is I Am. We interpret that often as Yahweh. But he also uh, told Moses that I am the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember those patriarchs. Now that must have really helped Moses because he probably had a little cognitive dissonance going on, an identity crisis happening because he thought he was the son of Pharaoh and now he's out here on the backside of the desert and he finds out that in fact he's of Hebrew lineage. And indeed he was and is. But God calls him and tells him, you're heading back to Egypt, no longer as a fugitive, but now as deliverer. Of course, you know most of what happens next, the reconnection with uh, his stepbrother Pharaoh, the ten plagues culminating in the Passover, then ultimately the exodus out of Egypt, the journey through the Red Sea, which leads us to the last 40 years of Moses' life, the 40 years of wandering. Let's talk for a moment about the Exodus as we <clears throat> think about uh, this deliverance and Moses as the deliverer. 
the Red Sea escape was absolutely a miracle. In fact, it was a couple of miracles. A lot of people debate this Red Sea escape. Did it really happen? Was it the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds? And uh, you can go deeper in all that if you want. I'm going to tell you that a miracle took place. And I'm going to tell you that it was an incredible miracle of God. And, and as we go through this, you'll understand why I would say that. Number one, let's talk about the party near the water. We, we do not know the exact location that Moses uh, parted the Red Sea. Actually, God did at Moses' obedience. But we don't know the exact location. Some people think it was on the west side of the Sinai Peninsula. That's a traditional place. I happen to think it's on the east side uh, at a place called Nueva, where there is an underwater land bridge that covers the 13 miles journey across the Red Sea. Uh, not sure exactly where. It really doesn't matter for our purposes. What does matter, though, is if those walls of water that the children of Israel were passing through would have indeed been several hundred feet high. It would have been an affright and a frightening and an awe-inspiring experience at the same time. But there's a second aspect of the Red Sea incident that's important. Exodus 14.28 tells us this. The waters flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. So as all these people are going through the sea in this incredible miracle of God, the Egyptians who have realized what they have done by dismissing their whole labor force, Pharaoh uh, sends his entire army. He is ticked off. He, is, he has been embarrassed, and now he's going to exact judgment on these people before bringing them back. You can understand that. And there's even another motivation. Pharaoh's son had died during the Passover. So for sure, the period of embalming would have been observed for the 40 days or longer. So it was a while before Pharaoh got his army together, got his wherewithal together, and went back after the children of Israel. Well, we don't know for sure all of that. The Bible simply tells us that as the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea, the Egyptians followed in, them in. The greatest army of that time trained military men uh, on chariots, and all of a sudden, the walls come crashing down. And here's the point. The entire army of Pharaoh was eliminated. What would have happened in World War II? If one day Dwight Eisenhower, MacArthur, and some of the, the leaders woke up and the entire German army was gone, it would have been amazing, unbelievable. Well, that's exactly what happened, and that was part of God's plan. Because Moses and these disobedient children of Israel are going to be wandering around in the desert for 40 years. They're going to have enough problems. They don't need to be looking over their shoulder, wondering when the Egyptians, who have all the power to do it, are going to come after them and drag them back as slave labor to Egypt. But the entire army is gone. And there's a peace for the children of Israel during this period of time as they're wandering around in the Sinai Peninsula. Which brings us to another criticism. What about the numbers of people? Exodus 12, 37 tells us that over 600,000 men plus women and children <clears throat> were in this journey. So upwards of a million people. Is that possible? Well, in the coastal cities here in the United States, we see it over and over during uh, certain seasons. 
that there is a category, category four or five hurricane that's about to make landfall. And what happens? We get motivated and there is an exodus. Uh, upwards of two million people can be uh, exodus or left or escorted out of Florida on I-95. The same is true in Louisiana and Texas. So during those periods of time when, when danger is coming, Two million plus people get out of Dodge, so to speak. So is it possible that a million people could have left Egypt, gone through this Red Sea, gone through the desert journeys of the Sinai to make their escape? Yes, it's, it's indeed possible that a million people could have made that exodus. We see it all the time. And remember this too, God's promise to Abraham was to build a great nation. So 70 people went down into Egypt, 70 Israelites, at the end of the book of Genesis. Fast forward 400 plus years, and certainly it is possible that those 70 had now become a nation of a million citizens because we know that God had blessed them and provided for them in a miraculous way. So yes, uh, there are some difficulties sometimes with understanding, but when we step back and look, we see that uh, God has a way and God makes a plan. So let's, uh, this last point, uh, we'll just talk about the Exodus itself. What we've been speaking of will set the stage for our next podcast, our next episode discussion, Moses and the Law. Because now the children of Israel have exited, for that is indeed what the book of Exodus is about. They have exited the slavery of Egypt. My country, the United States, it's, it's nothing without its constitution and its laws to govern our 330 million people. Well, as, as we've talked about today, God, during those 400 years, birthed the nation. He completed his promise to Abraham. And now we have a nation of at least a million people birthed in slavery, birthed during a period of time when, when God was doing amazing things, sociological things, such as creating an alphabet. And now, as God has birthed the nation Israel, he is about to provide the means to govern his nation Israel. And just as we in the United States are thankful for the Declaration and the Constitution, God is going to give his children, his nation, a constitution to live by. It's called the next four books of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we will watch and talk about Moses in the next episode, for Moses' last 40 years is spent receiving and communicating the law that will govern this brand new, never-before-seen nation of Israel. They will be unique. They will have some laws that may seem strange, different, even difficult to us. But indeed, they are the laws and the directions, the codes that God gave to his people because they are specifically his nation. He promised to watch over them. And from this nation, of course, he's going to bring the Messiah, Jesus. All of this is contained in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So boots on, everybody. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about next week in the 24-minute Bible podcast. So thank you for joining me. I hope you've uh, learned, hope you've grown, hope you're connecting some dots, and I'll look so much forward to talking with you next week on the 24-minute Bible.
Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week and may God be glorified in your lives.